dungeon of the Toe Network. This is Laser Knees number one, two, three, and it's a great day for fandom. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Machine Sentai Kira Major, episode 25, The Cutie Priestess, and episode 26, Make the Weapon Arrowy. Not the strongest episode titles this series has had, but okay. Yeah, I keep coming down to, like, look, cutie, that is, um, honestly, that is an understatement to the point that it's almost an insult. Uh, our, our writer for both is Arakawa Naruhisa, sure is. Uh, our director for both is Yamaguchi Kyohei, so we've got kind of the big two for this show on this one, which makes sense given the, the things that happen. Um, mm. And I know y'all are thinking it. If you are following Kira Major as you're listening to us, as it's coming out, as we're releasing these, I know what y'all are thinking, and I want to clear up that yes, I am going to talk a lot about Yodona because I love her and she's perfect, and I'm very excited by her existence. Yeah, look, uh, we are but simple podcasters. We are not saints. We are not the the cold, analytical people that sometimes I wish I could be. But um, I would ask your forgiveness for all the Yodona content this episode's going to contain. But uh, honestly, if you're still listening to us, there is decent odds that you're just right in the dumpster with us. Yeah, and, hey, welcome. To be fair. Welcome. Because, um, yo... Hey, Sono, you dona. Mm. But before we get into, uh, just again, because, like, cutie is, it is insufficient. I feel like you start at glorious, and, like, you just, you get more superlative from there. But before we discuss just the wonder, the, the perfection, the experience that is Yodona, let's, let's get the bad stuff out of the way, because, like, there's... There's a couple little piddly things here. Okay, so this is kind of hardly a thing, but when the priest tells the group that an alien once came to the shrine, like, why are they surprised? Takamichi, you, like, aliens are your adopted family. All of you hang out with Mabushina every day, and you know Oridin hung out on Earth for a while, because that's how Takamichi got adopted by him. Like, I'm sure if they had 30 more seconds before the plot kicked in to talk to the priest about this, they would have learned very quickly it was Oridin, because the second he said the word alien, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, it was Oridin. Yeah. But, like, the fact that they're shocked and Takamichi and Tamatomo are like, like, they hear the, the arrow from around the side of the building, and they're like, is that the alien? And one of them is like, there's no such thing. And I'm like, that's very weird when Mabushina is an alien and Takamichi was just talking like five minutes ago about magically restoring society on another planet. Yeah, it's just, it is incredibly strange. It'd be like me saying, oh yeah, there's no such thing as podcasters or television. That's a silly idea. Why would that exist? Like, okay, sure, it's in, it's in the realm of possibility that someone might say such a thing, but if I said it, you'd be wondering what the heck I'm on about, because there is, like, a raft of, of just explanations that I'd have to do beforehand to make that sentence make sense. Like, like maybe there's this is a thing where they don't think of Crystallians as Uchujin, which, like, I guess, because, like, 
they're from a planet, so I guess they're not from space. But, like, that's a stretch. <laughs> like, you'd need someone to say that. And even then, they could have just not had there's no such thing as aliens in there, and yeah, <laughs> and there wouldn't even be this weird little hiccup in the episode. Yeah, because, I mean, like, that's the weird part. The surprise that, like, aliens visited the shrine, I could see that. So, like, oh, man, what are the odds? Yeah. Oh, what, that, what like, kind of alien was it? Yeah, like, especially, like, if they were to very quickly make the connection that it's Ordens, like, oh, man, what are the odds that he visited this place that is now important to me, Juru? But, like, the fact that two of them, one of them who, like, lived on an alien planet are then, like... Aliens aren't real. That feels kind of weird. Yeah, that's really weird. <laughs> I've never heard of a cat. Cats are fake. Like, no, that's, that doesn't make sense for me to say. Anyway. Um, okay, so in, in 24, this isn't necessarily an actual problem. It's just some very confusing localization on Overtime's part, so bear with me. Um, because I'm gonna be a little long-winded about it, even though it's kind of nothing. But I'm not sure what joke, uh, like, what the joke is that the Cheers lyrics are being mapped onto. Yeah, that's, that's a very good question, because, I mean, I was like, wait, is this, is this Cheers? What? Does he want to like, go where everyone knows his name? What's going on here? Like, was... they do kind of repeatedly make jokes about Takamichi being a lot older than he looks because he's like 45 so I'm assuming that what he actually says is some kind of line from either the theme song or from a show that's a bit older that would kind of give away his age yeah that would make sense um but I okay so bear with me here a thing that people used to get really kind of pissy about regarding TV Nihon. I'm not going to put it differently than that, because that's what it was. No, look, as as one of those people, I think that's a fair descriptor. Um, but one of, one of the things was that they translated very literally and would put translator's notes up at the top of the screen, which to me always seemed like kind of a dumb thing to get mad about, because I'm always down to learn some cultural context. But, you know, whatever. I'm fine with pausing an episode for a second to kind of read and understand context, but you do you. Um, and, you know, media is a great way to learn cultural context. And in a situation like this, I kind of wish that's what we got. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Because um, I respect localization. I do. Um, I... I think it is a valid way to translate. But the joke here feels incredibly out of nowhere. They just have him say the first line of the Cheers theme in reference to absolutely nothing, when I assume what he's actually saying was at least relevant to the fact that he, he's been struggling in this fight and suddenly has the upper hand. Same with the weird reference to the song Silver Bells at the end of the episode. Um, like, getting the actual line that he's saying along with a note of this is the theme or a line from this show from this year would have 
it would have at least told me that there is a joke that makes sense that I could then research on my own time, even if I didn't exactly get the joke in the moment, as opposed to something that just doesn't feel like it makes sense, because what does... The first line of the Cheers theme song has no real context there, and I actually went to try and get this episode from TV Nihon to see if they'd have the actual line in a translator's note. Um, I haven't watched them in a very long time, so I'm not sure if they still do that, but I'm, I assume they do. I mean, it's it's kind of a thing they're known for. Like, I don't know why they'd stop. Yeah, and I mean, in this case, it would have been very useful, but they seem to have just released episode six of Kira Major. Oh, um, wow. So it, they are not releasing that one regularly, and there does seem to be another group subbing Kira Major, but they were only on episode 24 as far as I could find. Um, so I couldn't even see if someone translated it and localized it slightly differently to try and compare. Um, so it's I respect Overtime, I respect what they do for the fandom. This is absolutely oh, yeah. no knock on them and the way that they choose to sub. I am not really criticizing them at all. Um, I just wish that at least in the, the release post on the Overtime blog, they would have at least been like, hey, here's this joke that was super weird and we just did the best we could to make it something recognizable. Here is the actual context. Because even just putting that in the blog post, like when I, I rewatched Bokenger a couple years ago um, and I got it from, a, I didn't get it from TV Nihon, another group had subbed it and I got it from them and they did all of their translators notes on their blog posts, on their release posts. And I'm like, that's that seems like a fine way to do this for the people who got mad about it being on the screen. Yeah, I mean, uh, writer time fan subs, who like I have been so I was so sad when they stopped doing zero one because they would do that like on uh like there's there's one where they they go in and explain okay what is the pun Aruto is doing here and heck one time they even had a whole list of what were they you know how, what were the ways we tried to make this joke work in english which that's really cool yeah and it's just like i feel like i have missed something with takamichi just spouting random song lyrics where i think there is a joke there that i have missed and if if anyone actually knows and can provide me context for this uh please do yeah that'd be much appreciated um just because i'd really like to know the context it's not going to change my opinion that this was bad localization again no knock to overtime you sometimes you just miss one we all do it it happens um yeah, I, mean, I just i don't think this was things. i just don't think that this was a good choice and every now and again, even as I am usually a fan of, of the way they do things, every now and again I'll find a, a bit where, like, me or my partner will just be like, hmm, don't like that. For instance, uh, in their in their O's uh, subtitles, uh, my partner just despises uh, that when Date calls Goto, Goto-chan, they 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 do it as broto which honestly i get 
it's a smart thing. It makes sense. Yeah, see, I get that because I feel like if they were speaking English, that is what he would call him. The The tone feels correct to me. Uh, but I do understand why someone would not be into that. I know many people who were not uh, not into that. Yeah, because... Um, I know, you know in the... Forze, they would occasionally use uh, a couple of ableist slurs, uh, which did not age very right, well. I don't remember that. You know, I'm, I'm not going to knock them too hard for that, because that was ten years ago. Yeah, and... uh, things people change we yeah, people change we were not we didn't and i say we we as a culture really didn't think quite as hard about it then we've learned uh we've kind of learned to be better since then and i really again i've been watching overtime since then and i don't i haven't i mean if they had done that in the time that we were watching it at all i know we would have pointed it out yeah it would have been a thing um so, you know, I'm not going to blame them for something from 2011. Yeah, but, look, you know, here in 2020, in this episode of Kira Major, I don't think that was a very good localization choice. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you just... You disagree with the localization choice. Doesn't mean anyone's bad, just means we disagree with the localization choice. Yeah, it's... I just want context. I just want to know what he's saying there and why. Um, also, again, fairly minor thing, but Jur just tells the priest he's a Kira major. Like, do y'all have secret identities or not? Like, decide. You gotta pick. Yeah. yeah, you can't. You can't go half measures with secret identity. Sort yourselves out. But I think that's pretty much all the problems. Like, and even then, they weren't really problems. Yeah, nothing. Nothing was honestly like make or break. Yeah. Well then, let's let's just get into the show, into the good stuff, because that's a lot more fun to talk about, honestly. I'm glad that they establish immediately that the, like, Crystallian line of ascension bypasses Takamichi entirely and goes directly to Mabushina. Which, you know, that's, that's really nice, because more than anything, she deserves it. Yeah, and I mean, like, it makes sense to me since he's adopted and she has the bloodline, um, but with the degree to which Earth Monarchy will sometimes just shove women out of the way, uh, shove women out of the way regardless, uh, it, just to keep a guy on the throne, it's nice to see Takamichi enthusiastically supporting his little sister, you know, becoming queen of the planet. Yeah. Or of their country on the planet? I don't know, it's not clear. It is kind of nebulous. But, you know, hey, it's, it's also just not unheard of for the adopted son to be placed in line for the throne if they're older and sometimes even if they're not which again like it it it's giving us those little bits of crystallian or the that crystallian nation's culture which like now i i'm it's got me wondering if it's just that they need a full rock person on the throne or maybe they're a matrilineal society because like we only see Oridin as king like not only but mostly see him in the absence of Maba Yuine so I don't know maybe I mean given the one that Mabushina is the one with a partial name lineage and Oridin and Garza have wholly separate names from each other and we I mean we don't know any of their parents names so I don't know if any part of their names are passed down 
But Mabushina's got, like, a legacy name. Yeah. Which feels a lot more in line with, you know, royal naming conventions. Yeah. And even if it's not, like, that's a that's a good line of BS we can, I feel like going with. Yeah, because, I'll uh, take what I can get. Yeah. If they're not gonna give me, like, solid answers, I am free to make things up. Yep. It's fun. Um, it's also kind of a good way, this whole, uh, you know, they're gonna wish to restore Crystallia is a good way to keep the Granter Stones in play, um, since they put them in the opening and then found two of them before having to shift the plot off of decursing Mabushina, because they kind of ran out of time. Um, we now have three of them, and we're at the halfway mark of the show, so I'm kind of worried that the Granterstone plot thread is something we're gonna forget about for the next 49% of the show. Or, I'm excited by how getting all four of them this early might shift the plot further. Because if we yeah. get all of them now and, like, restore- like, I don't know, maybe we get all of them now, but we have to use them for something else because now Yodona is here. Yes. Oh no, the general's here. Which- honestly also implies, oh, hey, the, the Emperor will be here soon. Oh, no. Which, yeah. Look, they can get some good drama out of it. Yeah, so it's like, I don't know, maybe we need to use the time travel one again, or maybe we need to use the, the destruction one again. Maybe like, we should I, just change time. Yeah, like, maybe there's just some, they need to keep using the individual ones so they can't do the big wish yet. And which, we just kind of hold off on that until the end of the show. Which, honestly, that'd be a lot of fun. Um, I love the bit of Crunchula and Garza bickering <laughs> over, like, hey, your plans are dumb. Like, part of me wonders if Garza is actually concerned for, like, the Emperor getting mad at Crunchula, or if he just doesn't want to get in trouble by association, because, as we know, he is the worst. Yeah, he does suck real bad. Like, I wouldn't mind Garza having a little bit of, like, a secret soft spot for this weird evil baby man, but if it's just that he doesn't want to get blamed for this dude's screw-ups, I'd buy that because he is, like, kind of awful. Yeah. I I mean, look, my thought is in classic internet fashion, why not both? Because, honestly, I feel that would be arguably a little worse. Because it's, it's not just that he hates this guy and wants to throw him under the bus, it's Ah, oh, man, I do like you, Crunchula. You're all right, brother. But you know what? Better you than me. And then just throw him in front of the bus. Because it's, it's just the idea, like, yeah, I might miss him, but uh, frankly, it wouldn't last long because I'll forget him after I add him to the pile of bodies that are all my other friends. Because, you know, he is the worst. I kind of love that Jiru had this really special place that he went to whenever he was down, and, like, he had to take a bus to get there, so he had to actually, like, work to go to this place. That, that clear- and that clearly means it meant something to him. Yeah. And that there was just this supportive grandpa figure there to encourage him and be like, oh, look at that cool thing you're drawing, and, like, tell him stories and stuff. Uh, yeah. Which- man, Priest Man was alright. Yeah, Priest Man was a good dude. Also, it, it honestly makes me want to know more about Juru when he was, you know, more of a kid. Or honestly, even what his home life is like now, because it occurs to me that, okay, he's in high school, and we haven't seen Heidner or Hare of his family, have we? 
No, they he mentions that he walked by this shrine with his grandfather once. Yeah. And that's the only mention of a family Drew's had. Yeah, which, like, look, I realize that part of this fantasy is being young and being a relatively self-sufficient superhero as part of a team of, you know, your best friends who are all amazing at stuff. But still, that's... Just as young as he is, it feels of note. Just honestly, give me just a little little scene of his mom just being like, look, I realize he's out there saving the world and all, but between the weird clothes and him being on call at all hours, I just keep worrying that he's joined a cult. They go after kids like him, you know. And every now and again, he just he comes home and he's he's just all weird and glassy-eyed because... I know we haven't mentioned the the duplicate thing in a while, but uh, he does have a literal doppelganger who just goes through the motions of life. I want to see his mom worried that he's joined a cult. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, I love stupid bowling Marsk. <laughs> like, I, I love him. I love that it's all or nothing with him, and that Garza like Garza walks in on this and is like, "Oh God, I was right. It's it's stupid. He's this is gonna be awful. I need to not be associated with this." Yep. I love that he can do his thing and knock over all the Kira majors and all of them are like, "Oh my God, oh my God, shield, shield, shield," and it just doesn't count because there's not ten of them. Like he's just so ridiculous. But there is a consistency to his internal logic that is the rules of bowling. And that's also ridiculous. And I love it. Honestly, dude, I just could not have said it better. Because this guy just wants to have a good time and work on his bowling game so that he can blow things up. But stuff just keeps getting in his way, so nothing explodes. Because honestly, on top of really enjoying that ridiculousness, I just, I just want to say a monster who will murder you and everyone around you as part of a bowling game. And this is the frame where he makes you, and maybe this is the frame where he makes you and like nine other people die in a massive explosion. He doesn't even have to do the explosioning to be a great source of dark energy. Because just imagine that bomb rolling towards you and knowing that if he hits you right, everyone dies. Just the anticipation and terror would generate all kinds of just horrific energy. I also adore Takamichi and Tametomo and Juru going absolutely nuts over the Granter Stone when they find it. Yeah. Like, they did not get this wild over the last two, and maybe it's because this one was actually, like, where they thought it would be for once, because, you know, like, the first one he found by accident, and the second one, of like, it wasn't where it was supposed to be, and a monster had stolen it, and this one he actually, like, found but it was just really funny seeing all three of them go absolutely nuts and, like, point at it at this, like, turn to this lady and be like, look, look at the thing! And, like, going berserk over it. It was really funny. I, I no, love them. I love it these It really kids. was. Yeah. And they just have such good chemistry together. Which, like, look, I... Honestly, I feel like a lot of it is also because at this point the stakes are suddenly not quite so immediate life or death of for a friend of ours or 
what the heck is this weird dude's deal? But instead, it's, you know, they have this more abstract thought with it now, so they can they can be calm enough to react big. Which, honestly, I just really enjoyed seeing Tomotomo lose his stuff a little, though. Because, like, look, Juru and, and Takamichi, they already go kind of silly, but seeing Tama get to be a little more just fun, just it felt like a good character beat for him. It was it was very cute. It, I did enjoy like him and Shiguru. Anytime yeah. they get to be a little more goofy is a good day. It really is. Uh, but but now for the part that everyone's like been waiting for because y'all have known it's coming. I have to give creatures. Kira Major credit for the best red herring a Sentai has ever thrown at me. Yeah, no lie. Like before recording and honestly just in the the weeks since this episode aired we have talked so much about this yeah it, it's so good because when we first see this miko shooting arrows like the way she's stoic and emotionless and keeps kind of moving her head in these very odd bird-like ways and then as the group is leaving you know tame looks back and she's vanished my brain responded with, I've seen Sentai before. I know this trope. She is the phoenix that is guarding this shrine. Especially when she puts on the little white cloak with all the birds embroidered on it. Right? Because, yeah, it's obvious. That's what, that's the only thing it could be. Because, yeah, she's weird, aloof, kind of alien. But also the camera does keep zooming in on her like she's going to be important. So, yeah, of course she's the phoenix. But also, maybe she's the actual alien the priests saw. Because, hey, you thought it was Oridin. Oh, snap, it was this phoenix thing. And she'll, like, turn into a bitchin' firebird at the end of the episode and be one of the many, many cool monster people that a member of the team pines for but never gets to date because, you know, it's Sentai. They don't have time for that. Yeah, my, my brain jumped back to Die Ranger with uh, Daigo and Kujaku. Uh, who was, she was, Daigo was their green, and Kujaku was this weird, like, peacock god lady. Um, this, like, weird peacock demigod. She, she was a Buddhist figure, um, but, you know, essentially demigod. And they kind of had this on-and-off thing that they could never really commit to because both of them were busy fighting the bad guys. Yeah, um, I mean, that'll do it. Like, it, it, I, like, I was thinking it was like that... Or, like, the bit in Maji Ranger where Maji Yellow dates a ghost for a hot second. But then she, like, grabs a bunch of mud and it turns into a Yodan changer. And she, like, calls Crunchula and is like, yo, your stuff is dumb. I'm taking over. And my brain starts screaming, is it Minjo? Yeah, same though. That was like, oh, snap. Because Minjo is red, and she's got, you know, the red clothes, so I'm like, is it Minjo? Because, of course, like, Minjo's gonna be angry and skulking around. And then I'm like, but why does Minjo, like, carry the authority of Yodon himself? And I'm like, maybe she's just way more high-ranking than Crunchula. Maybe we were onto something with the two witches being, like, related to him rather than working for him. And, you know, having it be Minjo alone would have been a great red herring because I thought she was the phoenix. But then they double got me. Right? And, like, look, here's the thing. 
right up until they reveal what's going on, it really would have worked. Because it just, it all makes sense. Especially since, like, we are so close to the Grandra Stone. Of course it's Minjo. She's here to wreck shop. But mostly she's going to be the other person going after the Grandra Stones so she can bring her beloved sister back from the dead. Like, look, it's not... That wouldn't be anything groundbreaking, but it's a good setup for the second half of the show. Keeps things interesting up until the Emperor arrives and stuff hits the fan. Because, like, look, we've seen maybe five minutes of Numajo at this point. Maybe. And, like, oh, three seconds of Minjo. And also, like, on top of everything else, we deserve to see some of the best designs that Sentai's put out in, like, I don't know, a decade. Yeah, man, wouldn't it be cool if we had three awesome lady villain characters active in this show at the same time? Right, and that's the thing. Like, I was not prepared to even imagine that, because honestly, two would be pretty impressive. Yeah, two is kind of unprecedented. Three? But, yeah. No, but instead we just get this boss cool lady mouthing off to Crunchula and throwing everything into confusion, including out here in the real world, and it ruled, actually. Yeah, no, I went absolutely feral when she transforms, because her transformation is so cool with the way that, like, her- the clothing changes and the armor snaps on and then the big crow wings bust out. Oh, I love that. And then she's just like, yeah, I'm Yodona. And I realized, like, in that instant that she said her name, that my prayers have finally been answered. And we have a fully face-acted Sentai villainess on our hands for the first time in over eight years. Eight and a half years it was since Escape's debut. But uh, I'm not gonna lie, Sono, like, my second thought after, oh no, she's in incredibly hot was uh oh wow sona's gonna lose her sugar over this yeah i sure did yeah um, i mean of course you did like i'm not insulting you when i say i know what you're about as far as uh face acted lady sentai villains and also just uh, really cool intense ladies yeah i mean look in the entirety of the time we've been doing this show there has not been a face-acted lady villain in a Sentai, and every single year I'm like, man, this lady is cool, but she would be way cooler if she was face-acted. Mm-hmm. And look, you've been correct every time. And just, here she is. Here's Yodona. And then she said she was Yodon's secretary, and I, like, lost it. I laughed so hard, because, wow, Izu just made bank, didn't she? <laughs> you just rolled Izu and Azu into one character. I mean, look. I mean, I, I should bloody well hope she made bank, because uh, she is a precious, precious angel, and also the queen gremlin. So, yeah. Yes, both, both of her are perfect. But just, when she said secretary, I'm like... That is so specific that it has to be because Izu made money. Yeah, it has to be. And look, I much love to them for just saying, like, okay, what is the cool new thing for the lady villains to be? Like, okay, is it as cool as it would be if they were, you know, Empress Yodona? Like, yeah, that would be better. But since we're not getting that, 
and like okay it's weird that she's the secretary but at least we've uh, we've established that as far as Toei Tokusatsu goes secretaries are awesome actually yeah i feel like in yoronheim secretary means something very different i yeah that would make a lot of sense um, I also just think it's cool that they repurposed the Yodon Changer this way, because they were, like, they did put that out to sell, um, and it looks cool as heck, and only using it for one episode would have been kind of a shame. Yeah, it really would have been. And then they just gave it to one of the absolute coolest characters in the show, and that's just, that's a double gift. Look, we call Toei cowards a lot, and it's true. But I'll give them this much. When they go to distract from their cowardice, they occasionally do an incredibly good job of it. Yeah. Um, I do feel really bad for Tame, though. Like, he was so into her. And I, again, I thought this was going to be kind of like the time Maji Yellow dated a ghost for an episode. Like, I thought he was going to help this bird learn emotions. And that she was gonna have to, like, leave at the end, and he'd be sad about it, but at least she, like, also loved him back, but she has to leave. And I was, like, man, I was ready to be, like, man, there are a lot of Maji Ranger references in this show. Um, but then I was so blindsided by the experience of Yodona that it wasn't until, like, I kind of came back to the next episode, and even really at, until the end of the next episode when Jiru kind of, like, makes fun of him and is like oh you'll find a nice girl eventually that i was like oh wait he's probably really broken up that he fell for this like very evil lady yeah i mean probably poor guy but you know i i can't fault his taste because i mean even before we knew she was evil she was still really intense and really cool yeah, like, look, I mean, like, I can't blame him. Just does the Will Smith hand gesture at her. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, like, it's it's a real bummer, but also, hey, good on you, dude. You got standards. Because I know a lot of people who might still, like, stand for her. And, and by know a few people, I mean am a person who's just going to stand for her, even though she's evil, because, um... You know, good on you, dude, for, for, like, okay, yes, she is glorious and and just beauty incarnate, but uh, she's also an omnicidal monster, so mm, I, I'm going to get over this, and I'm just going to be sad for a while. Because, you know, like, of course you'd be sad for a while. That That's a really distressing Man, thing just, to find out. Just the out. bit. Yeah. But just, just the bit where he's like, but I thought you said you liked humans! And she's like, yeah, I like watching them die. Like, that was incredible. That was amazing. I I went absolutely nuts. Oh, I don't blame you. Because, like, look, a lot of baddies, they, they could have a, a creditable face turn. Or even go for a redemption. And a lot of times that's what they do with lady villains. Honestly, a lot more than dude villains. But... I'm just very excited, because we don't have time in 25 episodes for her to be anything but a foiler and a spoiler and absolutely amazing. She's, she's yeah, see, here to I'm, be evil. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit, because I did kind of talk about this, because I'm not convinced that they won't. Because um, a, a thing that really stood out to me 
in these episodes um, is the storyline that they're establishing between Yodona and Tametomo. Um, and they do, you know, every every lady villain from uh, Maji Ranger to, to now, uh, every face-acted lady villain gets redeemed to an extent. Um, not not always completely, uh, because you know the the Gaiark are still technically villains. They're just kind of they just kind of chill afterwards uh, when they're dead and come back. Uh, they they're just kind of doing their own thing um, and escape. Sort of, sort of. It's more of a tragic ending. Yeah, but you know, even but even it's, dead, it's she's the same. Still it's kind of the same good. vibe. Um, but you know, it's every face acted lady villain. Um, but it, I bring this up kind of because I really hope they follow through on this storyline between Yodona and Tametomo, and that they they've kind of got this emotional antagonism between the two of them. And that they don't just fall back on Yodona fighting just Sayo and Senna because she's the lady villain and she fights the girls. Yeah. Because um, that is... That's a thing. It's, again, I come back to Escape because Gobusters introduced Escape as an enemy specifically for Ryuji. Um, she wanted to fight someone with just ridiculous raw strength. Her whole thing was she wanted to find someone as good as she was to fight. And, you know, one time she's fighting Ryuji and he overheats and he goes berserk. And that was the first time she considered someone good enough to fight her. Because she couldn't just beat him very easily. But they drop that almost immediately and just have Escape fight Yoko. And never oh, establish sucks. any kind of emotional thing between them. And they never did any of the interesting stuff they set up for her. And it was a huge bummer. Um, the only... The only one who ever really got that was Shizuka in Bokenger. She was specifically... She did fight Sakura sometimes. She was... She fought everyone. But she was specifically Sota's villain. That they had an emotional storyline that they went on. Um, so I just want to see Arakawa follow through on this really intense setup he's built for Yodona. And let her focus on Tametomo and be an enemy specifically for him. And yes. I could see them giving her a redemption arc since they seem to imply that she has Kira mentality instead of Kala mentality, and that if she really taps into what emotions are about, she could learn to feel some good ones in a productive way. And I think that would be a cool storyline if, like, maybe ten episodes from now in the 30s, she's questioning stuff, and she has to work through some stuff, and then by the end... Like, she, she makes this choice to kind of live by her emotions instead of by Yodan's rule. And I think that would actually kind of be a cool way to expand on the Dark Naga idea a little bit. Okay, um, and just that. kind of take that kind of idea and play with it in a way that's different from what Q-Ranger did. Because it was one of the few things Q-Ranger did very, very well. I thought that storyline was beautiful. Um, but I think this would kind of be a, an interesting and different way to play with it. But also, she's just a horrible gremlin woman to the end. Like, that's also cool. I will gladly accept either of those 
Um, Yodona is incredible, and I feel like as long as Arakawa keeps having everyone lean into this dynamic between her and Tametomo, there's really no way to go wrong. Yeah. I, yeah. Because how do you lose? She, hey, what's up? You t- you're teaching me how to express emotions in a human way. <laughs> Let me use it to break your heart. It's so good. Yeah, like, there's, there's really, as long as they lean into what they've established, there's, n- there's no way to do Yodona wrong. Yep, just don't like, do her dirty, just, guys. Don't do her dirty. I'm dirt. just so predictably excited about her, and I know y'all saw it coming, and I know that you know that she's all I'm gonna want to talk about forever. That's... Y'all knew what you were getting into when you came into this episode. If, if you, Sono, if you want to do an hour just talking about how cool she is in here or in another episode, like, I can totally do that right now because I'm right there with you. I realize. I mean, look, we've we've got twenty, like twenty-four more episodes. Yep. Twenty, like twenty to twenty-four more episodes to just talk about how great Yodona is, and we're gonna. Yep. Oh yeah, it's it's not even a question. Because I mean, she she is she's great. She's I mean again it's the I I only like I've only ever seen. Uh, escape in one of the movies, but I just, I remember her rolling up and just saying, like, I'm Escape, and I'm incredibly good. And I'm like, yeah, I believe it. And Yodona's, like, the first face-acted villain I've seen in a while, where when she, if she were to say, I am incredibly good, I'd be like, yeah, so I mean, clearly. I mean, she is the first one since inc- since Escape was incredibly good. Yeah, and, uh... And the, we've she... only had one more, bef- like, before escape the last one was in go Wander. dang it has been a minute there were there were none between go Wander and go busters and have been none since then and i know that the one in in kyoryuger they did face act her sometimes and by sometimes i mean like twice i am talking a lady who is primarily face acted for the majority of the run yeah, that is a different animal, and we do not accept any any substitutions or refunds. Yeah, like, I I love... I can't remember... I actually don't think I ever learned how to pronounce her name properly. I actually really like the one from, from Kyoryuger. One of the very few things Kyoryuger did very well was the, the relationship between her and their blue. Um, it was a... It, it's a storyline that only comes up in, like, three episodes and then very briefly at the end. Um, but it was very cute. I thought it was very cute. It was very sweet. It was a very... It was an interesting way to build a redemption arc for her. But she was not a primarily face-acted villain. It was kind of a disguise that she did sometimes. And, again, by sometimes, I mean twice. Yeah, that's not... That does not count. And I, I love that 24 opens with Yodona just rubbing Tame's face in the fact that she's winning. Just being like, oh, when I win, maybe I should try that emotion you taught me. Like, that is a sick burn. Yeah, it really is. It's, honestly, it's the effect that Crunchula is always going for. But Crunchula is so lost in the weeds of grand gesture that he misses that it's the personal touches that make you a great villain 
and stuff like, oh yeah, you taught me how to do all those uh, human emotions you have. Now I'm gonna smile. Yeah. Why? Because everything's going my way. It's like, oh, oh, that's mean. I also just love that she smacks Bomb Marsk so hard that he becomes five dudes. <laughs> and he's just like, I didn't ask you for feedback. Like, no, she didn't. She is your boss. Just do what she tells you. You, She doesn't care what you think of her plan. Yeah. She's she's not Crunchula here for, like, the art of evil. She's just, she's here to get stuff done. And look, okay. I'm... I'm sorry to be that guy, and I hope you'll all forgive me, but all I can say is watching her, like, you know, pull the, the riding crop back and, like, smack dudes so hard they turn into multiple dudes that are powered up, etc. Um, there are, in, in like, 10, 15 years, there are going to be some kids who come out of Kira Major just doing that bit from Community. Like, hmm, this better not awaken anything in me. Because, like... In fairness, though, is it really a Sentai if there's not some level of that going on where you're like, that that right there is going to mess with someone? Cause, that is the face-acted lady villain tradition. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because it is just, it is some Chris Claremont X-Men levels of awakening things in the youth. There's, there is a reason that in... Uh, Arakawa's Akiba Ranger. I mean, I know it's not just Arakawa, but you know, in Akiba Ranger, when the cosplay lady is like, "Hey, I'm gonna dress up in all these Sentai villainous costumes," it's like everyone loses their stuff. Which you know, fair. But anyway, I'm I'm not gonna make that a regular thing. I just I gonna say it once so that I don't have to say it again later. Um, I do adore that we called back to the Yodon power-ups, um, like, overwhelming the users and destroying them after a fairly short time, and that it's also kind of what happens with the Monstone that's powered up by the Granter Stone. Just anything running on dark energy or calamentality just can't sustain being powered up. And since we've seen it before, even if the power-up is a different source, we don't really need context for it in this very fast-paced moment where an explanation would kind of slow us down and ruin the moment. It's just consistent for the logic of Jotunheim, which I think is some really nice storytelling. Uh, I also just kind of love how traumatized Juru is by the idea of someone hurting their own teammates like that, because he didn't really see it happen with Fridgemarsk. That was kind of away from the team. That was its a little side thing. Um, so seeing it happen here not only sets up a good conflict for Juru, but it also just kind of shows how far above the mooks Yodona is that she just barely sees them as living things. Yeah, and also, to add to the stuff that's messing with Juru, uh, after after the, the Mudites burn themselves out, like, they just dissolve into these piles of mud with masks on top. I, I have to imagine that's part of what wrecked him, because most of the time, like, you know, they explode or they just stop being around. We don't really see what happens to the Mudites most of the time. But, like, this time, he had to, like, look at the corpse of his enemies. Or, you know, mud pile, but, like, that's their corpse. He's 
like him and all his friends just got to see oh wow these things are so dead they just it's like their bones evaporated yeah and i just i love how afraid that makes him of the idea of a power-up because you know the mid-season power-up is always kind of a big deal and this is the first time in that i can remember that there's been some resistance to the idea and the concept of like hey we're just kind of normal dudes what if our bodies can't take it like these monsters can't take it why can why would we be able to which like look as a guy who i i have to have regular checkups to make sure that one of my medications will not literally like make my heart like something in my heart explode because uh, ADHD medication is an amphetamine and hey you know what can happen if you take too strong an amphetamine and your heart can't take it like stuff ruptures it's bad so like his concern is an incredibly reasonable one and honestly like personally I found it kind of a relatable thing to talk about because yeah that's sort of a thing we should be thinking about with sentai power-ups they bend the laws of space and time. We aren't meant to do that. One and a half of these people have definitely done physical training. Like, Senna's an athlete, and Shiguru has probably done some stuff because he does do kind of, like, period action movies, which I feel like you definitely have to do, like, something for that. I mean, you know, he, he is a swordsman, so at the very least, he has enough muscles that he can quickly and efficiently move around you know a sword is like it might be light but it's it's heavy enough to do some damage because like it's not just the blade that does it it's it's you know it's a sharp thing but there's enough force behind it to get it to cut through something like i don't know human bones <laughs> like yeah but like even even if sayo and tame are in good shape this is definitely beyond what they've prepared their bodies for and we've seen what happened when they tried to like have Juru do really physical stuff <laughs> yeah he's not yeah not what so, he's like, for it's kind of reasonable for him to be like yo I don't think we can put that stuff in our bodies yeah that's that's an incredibly reasonable assumption to make and I also love that part of it is he kind of feels this pressure from Tame, like, praising his leadership and how much he cares for the team to this new villain. And he's like, I've got to live up to that, and that means I'm not willing to put y'all at risk for the sake of getting enough power to stop this one thing. Because if it kills us, they're just gonna do it over. <laughs> Like, Yodonheim is still gonna be out there. Yodona's still gonna be out there. They're gonna have more monsters, and we're not gonna be here to stop them. So he can't accept, like, do it and die, or don't do it and people get hurt. He's gotta figure out a third way. Yeah, because he's a good kid. And, like, honestly, the th a thing I appreciate is that he's doing it by basically being, like, no other red. At least not any in, in recent memory. Because, like, look, there have been other sweet kid reds. And there have been thoughtful reds. But I don't think we've had one who just 
who, who bucks the idea of, like, going at full force at all times, or be the bestest and strongest on the team except for number six. Because, like, he's just this... He's this sweet-natured, neutral-good bard in the leadership position, but instead of going out there and being like, I'm in charge, I'm the leader, grah! He just, like, hangs out in the back and inspires everyone while he, like, chronicles their adventures. And I don't know, I just think that's really cool. He's, he's... I mean, the the closest I could think of is maybe Gosei Red. Mm, maybe. Um... Because he's he's a little more laid back, and again, they have an entire their entire clip show episode is devoted to we need to pick a leader, and they just don't even consider him. And like he he's there, he's just like yeah, it can be one of you. I don't really care, um, as you know, as long as we're all hanging out and being friends. But even then, like he sort of has more experience in what he's doing, so I feel like he's got kind of a confidence that's different from Juru's. Yeah, like, Juru is not a professional guardian angel. And, it, like, he he has no training in this. And I, I do think it's interesting that the, the thing that he comes to with this is the idea of limits aren't made to be broken, especially when this is following a Sentai where limits are made to be broken was the core theme of the show. <laughs> To the point that it's how Ko was able to beat Eris. Yeah. And, I mean, we're, we're far enough into this show that I feel like it doesn't... Like, these two things aren't super conflicting. Like, we're, we're kind of six months out from the end of Kirame, of, of uh, Ryu Soldier. Um, but it's just, it's a very fine line between believing in what you can do and not holding yourself back from accomplishing big things and bending yourself until you break. And I appreciate that while Ryu Soldier kind of built up the former, Kira Major is taking a step back and kind of facing the latter and being like, please assess your situation and don't push yourself further than you can go. And especially in a time where the world is on fire and kids are probably very strained by some lack of important social contact. Um, I do know that Japan's schools are open um, and they just they have kind of very high protective measures in place. But I'm, I'm sure there's still a heavy strain on kids in this situation. Oh yeah, I mean, honestly, just the ambient stress that's awful. And even if it's not the kid worried about themselves, there's everyone else being worried, and that's hard to deal with. And then there's just, what about my friends? I just, it, honestly, I just think about being in, in a USCN school at the moment with, you know, how for a while there, there was just like a new school shooting every week, and just trying to imagine going to school with that, and this is, oh yeah, guess what? You won't even know if the shooter's here. You'll just... Some terrible stuff will happen, and suddenly your entire family's dead. Like, ah! Oh. It's, it's just nice seeing this piece of, of kids' media being like, hey, it's okay to be afraid, and it's okay to step back and assess your feelings and take a minute to breathe. Yeah, it's just... It's really good. And like you said, like, there is this very fine line, but, I mean, 
as I've been finding out lately, you gotta toe that line so you don't burn yourself out while also trying to push yourself. And I just, I appreciate the show giving kids a way to contextualize that need for balance in a manner that is, as I like to say, just both genre and audience appropriate. Because, like, look, I, I can't speak to the Japanese work ethic outside of things I get secondhand from media, so, like... I don't want to generalize based on that, that's not enough info to go on, but I definitely know, like, the United States work ethic, and how so many folks romanticize the idea of burning your candle at both ends, and just, I don't know, somehow making it through, somehow, even though you have nothing left to give? Because, like, look, that rules as a way to have a deus ex machina, in a story without actually doing a deus ex machina, but, I mean, like you're saying, Sono, it's, it's really unhealthy, especially in our current moment. Which is just my long-winded way of saying, like, yeah, I agree with you, Sono. Good, good on them for, for having a really interesting message, not to mention one that kind of bucks a lot of trends, which, hey, I'm glad to see something new. But oh my god, when Yorona starts laughing and then just like abruptly stops and is like, that that's what people do when their plans work out, right? That's what you taught me, right? Like, oh my god, that was so good. And like, honestly, on top of everything else, just the emptiness of the laugh is just so chilling. It, it reminded me of this bit I once heard where someone was talking about making the Daleks on Doctor Who and, and about how you play them right. Because it's not enough to, to have their, like, stilted delivery. You have to do the voice like you are a, like you are on the edge of losing yourself. And, like, if you don't exercise this last bit of self-control, you're just going to start screaming. And that's what her laughing made me think of. Like, she's this bomb about to explode emotionally, and it's gonna be ugly as sin when she does. Which, you know, hey, way to get me invested in the baddie, guys. You didn't have to go this hard. <laughs> I, like, honestly, if she was just weird and cold and and evil like this, I that would have been enough. So, no, I, I, can't, I don't know about you. I feel like that would have been enough. I mean, look, I Echidna lives rent-free in my head 100% of the time, so I know what I'm about. <laughs> yeah, but then they just, they, they didn't do, they didn't stop at enough. Honestly, she's, she is one shoving a crystal filled with a nebulous kind of energy directly into the physical organ that is her heart away from being a perfect villain for me, because, like, she's, she's got it all. She's got the style. She's got the swagger. She's got the sadism, because, like you were saying, it is a sick burn when she's like, yeah, just like you taught me. Like, oh, it's so good. And then she's, she's also, she can unsettle me. But then she has her villain plot, which is, hey, guess what? We're going to use special bombs to explode reality so hard that we open a gate to Jotunheim and just let all the monsters saunter straight into this reality to murder your entire everything. Like, not for nothing, that's a pretty good plan! 
sure, relies on the bombs, but that's a pretty good plan. <laughs> it's like we were just talking in, in our Saber coverage about wanting the baddies to have a weird, intense plot like Akumaro in Shinkenger. And then here's Yodona just waltzing in, and her plan is basically his plan, except without those extra couple steps. So it's an efficient version of his weird psycho plan. Because, like, her, his plan was, yes, I just want to unleash hell so that I can see what the afterlife might be like. Which, whoa. And hers is, oh yeah, I'm going to unleash hell on Earth because it's my 9 to 5 job. <laughs> that's, that's so good. <laughs> And I just, I just love the way she is rubbing her entire everything in Tomitomo's face, and how just absolutely gross she is with her tongue hanging out all the time. Like she's horrifying, and I adore her. Yeah, it. She's so good, and I keep having this idea, just since you were talking about how gross she is, that everyone back on Jotunheim. Is, is actually kind of surprised that the Emperor hired her. Because, like, look, she's very symmetrical. She is, is very, like, what we here would call pretty. And their whole thing is, we don't want things to be pretty. We want to destroy beauty. And, like, a part of me is like, oh, okay, so she, she amps up her grossness by, like, you know, having her tongue hang out and just being weird all the time. Because that's how she can blend in with the ugly Empire without you know, having to, like, remove her face. Because, I don't know, I keep being like, oh, is she secretly a human? I don't know. I just, I love her so yeah. much. Yeah, no, that's because she's amazing. I, I love her. So I don't mind the new upgrade armor. It's, it's simple, it doesn't feel like it really disrupts the designs the suit already had. I kind of like the, the symmetrical design where there's a center one and then there's two that face like inward toward it. Um, like it it's a little bit bulky, but the power-up armor usually is. And this at least feels like it fits and they can move around in it and isn't just some big foam thing kind of flopping all over the place. Yeah, I mean, it, it does fit. And they can move in it, and that's nice, but honestly, I feel like not minding it is the highest praise it can get because like it's outside of its functionality it is a whole lot of nothing yeah I, but I mean like I I can live with that I'm fine with that because I think back to Tokyujer and I love Tokyujer but that power up was a mess that yeah. was just a big floppy train that yeah. they would put on on their shoulders um, but I do really like it mechanically. I like that it's a timed power-up and that the timing is real-time. Uh, that kind of reminds me of the first episode of Go Busters where they had to do the mission in a certain amount of time and it was, it was like 10 minutes, but it was 10 minutes of real-time and they kept it on screen and while they were cutting between different things and that was really interesting. Um... And I, I really hope this is a thing they stick to with this power-up. I don't even mind if they use that timer every time. 
Um, I think it raises the stakes in an interesting way. Yeah, it does. Like the fact, and the fact that they weren't able to win with it in the episode where it premieres, and that they just ran out of time because Yodona, like, kicked Tame in the face, that's unprecedented. Like, it was so cool, because they still got to show off how much stronger they were with it, and they all got to kind of do different moves with it. Like, like, uh, Shiguru does kind of an extension of what he does with his sword, but with an arrow, and, uh, Juru got to do kind of this neat finisher, and Senna got to, like, kind of run really fast, which is just the thing she does anyway, but it kind of showed that you don't have limited shots, you can just keep doing it. Like, they did some really neat, interesting, different things with it that kind of showed that it has some potential as an interesting weapon, but they couldn't get that last shot, and that just drives home how absolutely awesome Yodona is. Like, against all odds, they kind of killed two birds with one stone, introducing both of these things, these plot elements at the same time, and didn't undercut the strength of either side. Which, like, just drives home that uh, there's a reason, even when some of the episodes are, are kind of iffy, that we praise Naruhisa Arakawa. Because, like, this is really hard to do. Like you said, like, they, they show off everyone's stronger, but also uh, no one has to look like a chump, which it's great. Not to mention, the mechanics they're putting forward means they're going to have a lot of cool story stuff they're going to get to do. Like, what happens when one of them figures out how to stop it from shutting down and gets wrecked because they they went over that very, you know, very short time limit? Like, what happens if the baddies get hold of this, of the, the, what's, what's the, the go arrow thing, the phoenix bow? Uh, you know, just so on and so on, because we've seen that the bad guys, yeah, they have Yoden changers now. They can adapt to the good guys' tech. That's that's a freaky thing. Just like you said, they they found a way to introduce it without making anyone look bad, and also they did it in such a way that I keep wondering about how they're going to play with the stakes and expectations, which, honestly, at the halfway point, that's a good feeling to have. Just feeling like, oh, we've entered a new phase of this story, which rules. Also, it seems like whoever is the one to first launch the power-up gets the armor with the center gem. Uh, since we see the center armor green and on Senna in the preview for 27, which is a neat detail that, you know, provides some nice focus for the specific characters. It's kind of a neat way to do a team power-up but still, like, give the power-up to the focus character of the episode? Yeah, I didn't notice that. Good catch, Sono, because I really like that detail. Also, it kind of implies to me that eventually there'll be a thing where someone get where they just put all of the... all of the gems onto one person and they get to be, like, Kirame Rainbow. I mean, it seems like a thing. I don't know. I I kind of hope if they do, it's it's a thing where they like combine into one person, kind of, because 
I don't know, I don't like when just, like, one person gets to wear all the power, but it just, it's... Yeah, and I also don't like that. It, it seems like it's begging to happen anyway. And also, before we close out the discussion on these episodes, I just, I just want to throw out how much I enjoy it that when Yodona rolls on into Yodon HQ, you know, in the drippy abyss, I don't know exactly what we'd call it, but... I just enjoy Garza just rolling up on her like, Hey, how's it going? You're cool. And I am certainly not going to betray you at the earliest opportunity. Okay, okay. Finger gun. Like, she's, she's gotta know what's up. Oh, yeah. Like, you, you don't get to be Azu without being two steps ahead of everyone who thinks they're the smartest kid on the block. Like, you don't get to be Azu without being two steps ahead of Jin. Like, she already knows he's betrayed his own family and kingdom. What alliance could he possibly have to this bunch of weirdos? Like, I just- I hope he tries to pull one over on her at some point, and she just immediately slam-dunks him into the trash, and is like, who the heck do you think you're talking to? I- I confess I'm kind of hoping that it's not an immediate slam into the trash, that it is an episode-long, like- Oh, really? I should go do that? Okay. And then just at the end, she just, like, shoots him in the face and is like, Who the hell do you think I am? I I report directly to the Emperor. You? You ain't never met him. You are not on my level. <laughs> but you spent the whole episode just doing everything I said. I wanted to see how stupid you thought I was, and I don't know if I'm more insulted that you thought I'd fall for it, or that you thought this would work. Because I just, like, look, clearly we, we have decided on our characterization of her. I feel like we're not very far off. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, we're, I'm pretty sure we're with Arakawa on this one, but... You know, I'm, I'm very much enjoying just like, oh yeah. Honestly, like I was about to say she, she's like Rose Grongi, but it's like, no, she's not actually. No, Rose Grongi was actually pretty chill. Yeah, no, she's just, and this lady is just intensity in ten cities, man. It's great. I love her. It's kind of just if they had let dark naga be dark naga for the whole show like if he'd just been introduced that way which i mean that would have been pretty cool too actually like the dark naga thing honestly works so much better than it has any right to yeah it was again i'm pretty sure that stinger and naga are the only characters the writer actually wanted to write on that show that sounds about right, yeah, because... Boy, any time They are the was... only ones with stories. Yep. Anytime it was anyone else, it's like, I don't know, this. Uh. I mean, like, Raptor and Hammy and, and, like, Garu, they all got kind of the amount that someone who isn't the red in a show or the sixth in a show just normally gets. Uh... Spotted just got the shortest end of that stick. He got absolutely nothing. But they got, like, a normal amount of episodes. But Sticker and Naga had 
full storylines. Yes, they did. That affected the whole show. And Lucky and Sarugi just kept being watered-down versions of those two storylines. <laughs> and honestly, like... And that's only when they weren't, like, actively stepping on it. Yeah, like, it, it's a thing where we, we kind of bring up, like, hey, your thing should not remind me of a thing I'd rather be watching. But Q-Ranger somehow did that within itself. It would be like, don't remind me of episodes of your own show that I'd rather be watching. Yeah, because, like, it's, this is not a, this is not a reference. This is just doing that, but again, and not as good. I feel like someone in on the producer side is like, no, but Lucky has to be the most important. I don't actually like him, though. I... I want to do the emo scorpion boy and his and his giant robot boyfriend. No, you you have to do them. Okay, but can I do the gay thieves though? No. I just want to do these sad reptile boys. I know Stinger's not a reptile, but bear with me here. Like I just want to do these these sad poison boys. Boy, these sad sad poison boys. And their robot boyfriends. Yeah. Look, I just... The writer of Q-Ranger has a thing he's about, and we here on Laser Knees are in full support of it. Yes. But yeah, so, um... I guess that gets us down to the the references that we caught in these episodes. I, I confess, like, I was too busy just being blown away by Yodona every time I watched these episodes. So, uh, Soda, did you catch anything? Um, this might be a stretch. I'm not sure about this one. Um, but the Go Arrow might be some kind of a callback to Gow Ranger's Falcon Summoner. Um, okay. again, it might be a reach, because their designs are kind of different, but they are both bird-shaped bow guns, where you pull the tail back and it releases an arrow. Uh, but that is about where the similarities end. They're not even the same color. Um, but I mean, like, I don't know, recolors are kind of a thing. But it's not like they didn't just recolor the Falcon Summoner blue and white. They are completely different sculpts. Um, but my brain did immediately jump back to the Falcon Summoner when we saw the Go Arrow. Uh, so I felt like it was worth noting because they are both bird-related guns that are the mid-season upgrade. I I think it sounds pretty pretty reasonable. And I don't know enough about Gal Ranger to say you're wrong. Also, you know, like, I probably wouldn't because that seems like a really rude thing to do. I mean, like, it, I my brain, when we saw it, my brain was like, there was definitely another bird-themed bow. And I couldn't actually remember what show it was from. My brain didn't immediately go like, Falcon Summoner from Gow Ranger. I was just like, I remember this was a thing before. And I actually thought it might have been Maji Ranger because Phoenix was in my brain. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it obviously wasn't Maji Ranger. Um, and then I thought it might have been Gosager. But, because uh, they all had different animal themes and I think the the red and the 
since the red and the pink were from the sky one, they had birds. Um, but it was Gow Ranger, and it wasn't a phoenix, it was a falcon. Uh, but it was red, and I think there may have been fire involved sometimes. So, I don't know. My brain went to it, and I thought it maybe. Hey, you know. Again, this one might be a stretch, but it felt like it was worth noting. Eh, you know, it's good to stretch. Uh, well, I, I, again, I didn't really catch any. Um, I think for our final thoughts are just, uh, hey, more Yodona, please. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, there will definitely be one next week. There will be a very clear reference to a prior Sentai. Oh, yeah? Cool. Uh, which I am very oh, excited right. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, man, I don't remember who it was, but I was like, isn't that the the lady from Geki oh, Ranger? Yeah, it's it's the lady from Geki Ranger. I thought it so. It is my favorite character in Geki Ranger. Oh dear. Um, I I love her. So uh, I'm very excited. Like I feel like Kira Major is just repeatedly and constantly being like, "Here, please. Here are things for you." You know, like I I think it's good that. Since Common Rider Zero One is over, that Kira Major has just just taken that baton and just ran with it. Like it took them a bit, but they they got back there. They, they got there. You know, Zero One was was busy pandering to me. Yeah, it, well, look exactly. Like, and then Zero One stopped and Saber started. You know, it's good. I'm not I'm not casting shade. It's yeah. just you know. I mean, look, I'm I'm very fond. Of every character in Saber. Yes. But, uh, it's just nice that Kira Major is just... Hey, Sono, we, uh, we heard that Zero One was no longer pandering to you. Now, we got a couple things for you. Here you go. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited. I was very excited about these episodes. I was very excited for, for this week to talk about these. But I'm excited for two weeks from now where we get to talk about, uh, episode 27. Yeah. And hopefully 28. Yeah, hopefully hopefully I'll be excited about 28 too. Yep. But uh, until then, for all of us here at the Toll Network, and Blazionese in particular, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sarah. And shine on. <laughs>